Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. This past week I came across some examples of famous last words of people, some that I hadn't seen before, and uh, some were rather humorous, some quite serious. Jack Daniels' last words, one last drink, please. Comedian uh, Spike Milligan had this uh, epitaph put on his uh, gravestone, I told you I was ill. Uh, A a surgeon uh, named Joseph Henry Green uh, was checking his own pulse as he lay there dying, and his last word was, stopped. Leonardo da Vinci, uh, famous for painting the Mona Lisa, uh, was an overly modest man, and and, uh, his last words were, I've offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Siddhartha uh, Gautama, also known as Buddha, founder of Buddhism, said this, Behold, O monks, this is my advice to you. All component things in the world are changeable. They are not lasting. Work hard to gain your own salvation. And then there is uh, American abolitionist Harriet Tubman. Uh, As she lay dying in 1913, uh, her family was gathered around her, and they were singing together. Uh, Her last words were part of that song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, Coming For To Carry Me Home. We've come now to the last chapter of the two letters that we've been looking at in our Bibles here this last fall and and winter. Um, We're looking in 2 Timothy chapter 4 today. Uh, And uh, this chapter we have some of the last words spoken and written by the Apostle Paul. um, And he's writing within weeks, maybe even days of his death as as he is a prisoner and, and to be a martyr for the Christian faith. And so in his words here in this chapter, he conveys to Timothy once again this charge that he has stated several times in slightly different terms in both of these letters. I invite you to look with me at, at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And uh, would you stand in reverence to God's word as I read? <clears throat> I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let us pray. Lord God, we just give you thanks for this, your word to us through the Apostle Paul. 
as he looked ahead, had very short time left here on this earth, uh, but looked ahead beyond that as well. Uh, Lord, give us eyes to, to see uh, what you have for each of us here as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So as we look today at the Apostle Paul's charge to Timothy and, and to us as well, we, we notice this, that these are not light or humorous words. New American Standard translates in verse 1, I solemnly charge you. Paul is serious here. These are urgent words like a man says on his deathbed to those that are close to him. And Paul is giving Timothy serious instructions here. And that's reflected as you look at verse 5 as well, as he says there, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul's end-of-life charge to Timothy and to us then is, is fulfill your ministry. Whatever it is that God has put you on this earth for, live to carry that out. And along with whatever else that includes, there is this summary statement, preach the word. And this is certainly a word specifically to Timothy, um, whom Paul had trained and had left as a preacher there and as a pastor in Ephesus. But it's also a word that's relevant to all who have ever after that been called to be pastors and preachers in Christian congregations throughout the world. Preach the word. A couple weeks ago we looked at the beginning of chapter 3 here where we reminded that, that of what people will be like in the world um, in the last days. And, and we noted how that description that Paul gave Timothy seems very much to reflect the current culture in our land. Uh, there Paul described the culture where people were lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And, and so in such an environment, what should a pastor do? Seek to build up people's self-esteem more? Ask for less financial commitment? and aim for more fun and entertainment in the worship service? That's not what you see here, is it? No, instead he just says, preach the word. Well, it seems like a rather simplistic approach, doesn't it? How, how can one expect a bunch of sermons could really make a difference in society then or today? Uh, surely we should aim for more modern communication methods than preaching sermons. And, and yet, that was Paul's end-of-life charge to Timothy then, and it's still a charge that applies to us in the Christian church today, preach the word. Well, why preach the word? Well, first of all, because of what people would be like, as we look back in chapter 3 there. And also then it tells us, in part that Pastor Ryan shared last week, of what the word of God is able to do in people's lives. And you see, human nature has not changed. People are still lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But, but Paul wrote to the church at Corinth these words. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 it says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Though considered foolish by some, preaching has been God's method of reaching people's hearts and showing them their sin and their need for a Savior for over 6,000 years. Throughout the Old Testament times, uh, he sent prophets to preach to the cultures that had turned away from him. Eventually, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a preacher and teacher. After Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, God sent out the apostles to preach about him. 
And for another 2,000 years, God has continued to send out preachers. And throughout human history then, whenever there have been times of revival in the Christian church, in various situations and locations, there have been preachers God has used to bring about those revivals. I love reading of examples of that in history. For instance, back in uh, 1795, University of Yale was in a rather ungodly state. There were very few Christians on campus, many atheists and agnostics, and Dr. Timothy Dwight was elected to be its president. And he was very concerned about the spiritual state of the campus, and, and part of campus life at that time involved regular speeches by the president, and so he hit it head on. And the first topic that he spoke on was this, is the Bible the word of God? And he preached incessantly for six months on that topic. And when he was done, infidelity was routed and great revivals broke out. And in one day, there were 52 students that came forward afterwards for prayer. Revival spread from there to Princeton, where 80 of 105 students were converted, and 25 of them eventually went on into ministry. Oh, how our college campuses need revival today as well. If only we had Christian college presidents and, and required chapel services. But how will students ever hear a preacher these days and, and with a church attendance at an all-time low in America, is there any hope? Last week, Pastor Ryan shared from 2 Timothy chapter 3 of how the sacred writings, that is our Holy Bible, are are God's word and able to give them the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And those sacred writings are also then available to equip believers everywhere to do good work. You see, it is not preaching in itself that's powerful to do these things. There can be some very empty or boring sermons given. But the power is in the word of God itself. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the original writers of the Bible to write it continues to then speak through God's word to hearts and lives today. And that's why it's important then that, that preachers stick to what the word says. And, and they don't try to change it to fit the current culture. And that's why we who call ourselves Christians need to be equipped to share God's word. John Stott says it this way, and I quote, We have no right to invent our message, but only to communicate the word which God has spoken and is now committed to the church as a sacred trust. And so you see that this charge to preach the word is applicable to Christian people everywhere, since it is for all of us to be concerned that God's word continues to be proclaimed by us privately and also in the pulpits of our land and throughout the world. So why preach the word? Well, first of all, as I said, then because of what people will be like in the last days and what the word is able to do in their lives. But also this, because of who we answer to. Verse 1, you look at it again and it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. You see, we answer to God and to Christ Jesus, who will one day then judge the living and the dead. This, this will take place at that time when Jesus reappears, when he returns, and then usher in then judgment day and the setting up of his kingdom in heaven. And because that day is coming for all mankind, we are charged then to get the message out before it's too late. 
And there's one more reason I see here to preach the word. As you look at verses 3 and 4, it goes on to tell us this. Because of the time that is coming when people won't endure sound teaching. When they won't put up with people speaking objective truth, but they'll want people to tell them truth is relative, and so just do whatever feels right for you. Verse 3 here, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, they will look for those who will scratch where they itch and, and, and will tell them what they want to hear. I saw examples of that even in the Fargo Forum this past week. Um, Tony Bender saying that if conservatives get their way, pregnancy will be mandated by the state and suggesting abortion then is a better plan than having a single mother try to pay for a daycare by herself. And, and then there's a, was a political cartoon showing a school library in North Dakota with all the shelves empty because they've all been censored. And you see, there's this mocking that goes on toward Christian values and and distorting then uh, portrayals of our beliefs to encourage people that don't go by that, that's old-fashioned, you can do whatever you feel like instead. Well, the time will come, it says, and the time is here when people will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Heather McDonald said this, We are in a very bizarre an unprecedented situation in our civilization today, which is we are turning on our own legacy and declaring it evil, oppressive, and without redeeming characteristics. And isn't that what we see? There's this shift that's gone on where the things that we were founded on are now looked on as the, and, and turned into something that is bad. And uh, we are in this time when then good is being called evil and evil is called good. Paul further states that the days are coming when people will turn away then from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. Well, what's a myth? A myth is a widely held but false belief or idea. And these days people want to believe, for instance, what, what they want to about life after death. They, they want to believe it's available for everybody, and, but they don't want to believe you have to repent of sin and, and believe in Jesus as the way to heaven. And so they make up their own view then that everyone will go to heaven no matter what they believe or how they live. Well, Paul is saying here that Timothy and you and I are to proclaim the word of God to them so that they hear the truth. And instead of believing myths, they will see their sin and their need for a Savior in Jesus. Well, so how is this to be done? How preach the word? Verse 2 has uh, three words there about this. It says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Another version says, correct, rebuke, and encourage. And you see, different people in different situations in their lives need to hear different things that are in the Word of God. And some, for instance, are dealing with doubts, and, and they need to be convinced by solid argumentation and corrected by sound reasoning. Others have fallen into sin, and they need to be rebuked for that so that they see the error of their ways and they repent and turn from their sin. Others are haunted by fears and insecurities, and they need to be encouraged by God's loving care for them. And so in a way, there are three approaches right there in declaring God's word. Reprove or correct, that's by appealing to their intellect. Rebuke, that's by addressing their morality or how they live. And and then exhort or encourage, that's addressing the emotional aspect of the person as well. And, And Paul adds then one more instruction as well in how to deliver God's word. 
And that is that though it's to be stated with firm conviction, it is to be said with complete patience and teaching. Not resorting to human pressure techniques or manipulation, not condescending, but, but showing genuine loving concern for people, whether it's in our private conversation or it's in public preaching, and then trusting that the Holy Spirit of God will work in their hearts as we humbly declare the written word of God. Well, when should we preach the word? He says in verse 2, be ready. That is, be attentive or be on duty. And the picture here really is like that of somebody that's in the military who is standing at the post, ready, waiting for the time to act. Pastors are to be ready to preach. All Christians are to be ready to proclaim God's word. And it says here, in season and out of season. In season, that's when it's convenient. There are times when we maybe feel prepared and we're eager to share God's word and the audience seems hungry to listen. And there's out of season. That's when it's inconvenient. There are times when, for instance, I as a pastor have felt kind of worn out and ready to take my day off and I've gotten a call that somebody's dying or has just passed away and it's time to drop my plans and go share God's word with folks who need to hear the promises of forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Christ. And you too will have times like that when, when your plans need to be dropped because someone needs to hear God's word from you. Perhaps we all should be praying to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's prompting and the opportunities he brings our way to share God's word. Lastly, as we look at, at verses 6 to 8 here, we, we see a, a powerful life testimony of the one who's giving this charge, Paul. And we see what he anticipates as he looks ahead and what we can anticipate as well. And as we've mentioned throughout our study of 2 Timothy, Paul expects to be very likely executed soon and to be a martyr then for the Christian faith. But he describes this imminent death in such a profound way here. First of all, you see in verse 6, he says, For I am already poured out as a drink offering, I'm not going to elaborate on that much here except to recognize that you see in the Jewish practice of offering sacrifices to God, sometimes one would also then pour out a cup of wine next to the altar at the completion of offering that sacrifice. And Paul looked on his whole life as a sacrifice that he was offering to God, and so this was soon to be the last of it. And he also says it this way then. He says, the time of my departure has come. And the picture with this word departure is like a ship that is lifting anchor or like a foot traveler that's taking up his tent to move on. Well, I haven't ever sailed a large ship and I haven't gotten to lift up a big anchor, but I have canoed in the boundary waters a few times in my younger years. And I remember various times there when we'd had challenging camping experiences. And then the last day up there, though, there was kind of this mix of emotion a bit of disappointment that this trip was already over, um, but at the same time, really looking forward as we packed up our tents, looking forward to some place where we'd get some real food and, and, and take a shower and, and sleep in a real bed again. That's a bit of what Paul is describing here. The time of his departure has come, and with it he's giving some instructions to those that he'll leave behind, but he's also very much anticipating what's ahead. As he looks back on his life, he says here in verse 7, I've fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I've kept the faith. 
Let's look at those for a bit here. I, I fought the good fight. That is, I have struggled the good struggle. The Christian life is a battle that we fight with the forces of evil. Satan is out to draw us away from the Lord and his word. And it is a daily battle, and we need to be aware of it and to engage in it and look to the weapons of God's word and prayer so that we'll be strengthened for that battle. Paul says, I have finished the race. He's, he's saying, I have completed now the course of this life that was laid out for me to run, and I've reached the goal of the finish line. I've kept the faith, he says. And that is, I've remained true to the Christian faith, still believing in Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And that's the goal for each of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior today, that we too would be able to say someday, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And then finally, Paul adds this statement, looking ahead, with such a confidence. He says, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who love his appearing. In the future, he says, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. As a winning athlete would receive a crown, or a loyal subject would receive a crown for faithful service, so Paul anticipated a crown placed on his head, so to speak, in heaven when he would when he would end this earthly life, breathe his last year. But, but here, Paul is not saying this is something that he's earned, but rather it's something that is laid up for him. It, it's been set aside for him by Jesus Christ. It's without any merit or worthiness in himself. It's this amazing gift that was given to Paul, Paul who considered himself to be the worst of sinners, and yet Jesus Christ's righteousness would be bestowed on him like a crown. And that's what he confidently believed and, and waited for in glory someday. And then he added this encouragement for us as well in the last line. Not only for me, but also for all who have loved his appearing. And you know, that last statement should, should be a tremendous encouragement for all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord today. We who are thankful for his first appearing and thankful that he came to this earth to die on the cross in our place, taking on himself our guilt for our sin and transferring over to us and his righteousness. And we can look forward then with confidence to that day in the future when Christ reappears and we along with Paul and all believers in Christ will be gathered around the throne in heaven and cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus, the one who died for us. But, but this last statement should also be a sober warning then for all who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior because the Lord, the righteous judge, will declare to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. However, it need not be that way for anyone, at least not for anyone here today, because we have heard the powerful word of God, and today it speaks to our hearts, and the Holy Spirit offers then to all of us the wisdom that leads to salvation, that is to forgiveness of sin and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for the Apostle Paul, and, and the life that he lived, and how you radically changed him, Lord, from being one who uh, persecuted Christians and was, contra was uh, going against everything about Jesus Christ to one who came to believe in him and, and see uh, his own sin and his need for, for Jesus as a Savior, and who gave his life then to, to serving you and preaching your word and, and training up people like Timothy to pass on that message as well. And Lord, we thank you for how you have 
down through the ages since then, uh, continued to raise up preachers to share your word from pulpits all over our land and throughout the world. And thank you, Lord, that you also raised up uh, people to share that word privately in, in all kinds of situations. And, and that through that word, Lord, you are able to give us wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus. And, and so, Lord, we pray that if there be somebody here today that's unsure of their own heart relationship with you, unsure of when their life on this earth comes to an end, where they would go. Lord, we pray that you would draw them to see their need to admit their sin, trust in Jesus, and find forgiveness there. And Lord, we pray that you would give us all boldness to share your word, believing that the power is there in your word. And Lord, we pray that you'd open hearts of people to hear it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.